The Highlander Podcast is brought to you by Outdoor Product Design and Development, a four-year undergraduate degree focused on training the next generation of product creators for the sports and outdoor industries. Learn more at opdd.usu.edu. The Highlander Podcast is sponsored by the Outdoor Recreation Archive, a collaboration between OPDD and USU Special Collections to preserve the history and print materials of the people, products, and brands of the outdoor industry. Follow the archive at Outdoor Rec Archive on Instagram. The Highlander Podcast is sponsored by the Utah Outdoor Association, a business association focused on elevating Utah's outdoor industry through educational programming and events. Their membership consists of Utah's outdoor manufacturers, retailers, outfitters, and guides. Member benefits include networking opportunities, recruitment of talent, and brand promotion. More information about volunteering and membership is available at utahoutdoor.org. On this episode, Damon Morris, formerly the Senior Development Manager at the North Face, Damon has since taken a new role as the Vice President of Outdoor at K2. Damon talks about the day-to-day role of a product line manager and a little bit about the work that he did in collaborations. Um, so yeah, my name is Damon Morris. I am the uh, global senior development manager for the North Face, um, specifically the off-mountain apparel and the collaboration projects. And um, you know what that means for for myself is I basically manage the uh, the development and building process for the apparel side on the lifestyle side, um, and. That entails building the development calendars. So, you know, the, the length of time, uh, how we start from a, a sketch all the way through uh, where it lands in the marketplace. Um, and so there are various, various processes uh, that uh, calendar gates and dates that you have to hit so that everything runs smoothly uh, within supply chain, within development, uh, design, merchandising, costing. Um, so it, it is, it is a, uh, a pretty big role. I also, um, manage the costing process. You know, when you, when you go into a shop, you know, the, you see the certain like price on the garment, um, you know, the, there is, there is a, uh, process where you have to build to a certain cost, you know, to, to achieve a margin for a brand, um, to <laughs> keep the brand going basically, you know, in terms of how much you sell the product for. Um, and there's a lot of intricacies in, in, in that, all the different details that you see on a garment um, from the, the zipper pulls to the mesh linings to the fabric itself. But like they, they have to, you have to, there's a certain cost to, to all of those items. And they all, you know, come to a, a final cost um, in the process that then translates to how much you sell the product for. Um, and then... You know, within the development process, I'm also the the sort of like liaison or the the glue that holds the product together, that holds the team together. From the uh, I'm the liaison between our sourcing partners in Asia, Central America, uh, U.S. Uh, factories as well. Between liaison between our design team, our merchandising team, our tech development team, um, and, and also uh, our our sometimes external partners, uh, meaning on the collapse side, the design partners that we, you know, we work with outside of the brand itself. 
And so everything sort of funnels through me. Um, and so, you know, you have to be able to take a lot of the information that, that is brought to you and then, you know, turn that around, put it together in a, in a clear and concise manner to work with our sourcing partners or development offices in Asia, as well as our factories. And so, you know, that's also where a calendar comes in as well. Um, and, you know, I would, I would say this role is definitely about being a, a people person. Um, you know, you have to be able to, or at least try to understand everyone's role in the process. So from the designers to the tech development team, um, our sourcing partners in Asia, or have you also our merchandising team um, and be able to, to uh, you know, drive, drive alignment across what we call the cross-functional partners. Um, you know, there is a, a process also work on the, our built the sort of like standard operating procedures um, where you're, you're defining everyone's role and responsibilities in the process. So there isn't a lot of overlap. Um, and so I think, you know, when, when my, my past experience, uh, you know, coming to where I am now, you know, in, in, included a, a lot of different roles from a product line manager. I started out in marketing, um, you know, I moved into product line management. Uh, I also worked in merchandising as well. And so, you know, I, I have a, a uh, an idea of everyone's role in the process. And so, you know, I think one of the things I definitely want to speak to is if, you know, as you're looking at what you want to do in, um, in product, whether it's design, whether it's development, whether it's merchandising, you know, if, if, if as you get out into the, to the, to the workforce, I think if there are roles presented to you that aren't necessarily what you specifically went to school for, but they are in development or they are in product, take that role because, you know, to be able to learn because um, again, a big part of my specific role is understanding everyone's role in the process. And if you don't have that, if you're not able to provide context, then it's really hard to get alignment um, and alignment, you know, in, in, in product building is, is key you know, very sharp and focused presentation or um, strategy to, you know, to um, our factories, to our sourcing partners, even to leadership within your own brand, being able to, to communicate a clear and concise message. Um, you know, when, when we talk about, just as an example, when we talk about the, you know, the, the costing process, you know, how 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 things start is the merchandise team will put a an initial line plan together so an assortment you know at the beginning stages and then that line plan is then briefed to design and what the merchandising team is communicating is here's a style or here's a style that we see in the marketplace you know or that we want to that we want to build for the marketplace here is the target uh, cost. And here are some of the, the, the marketplace insights that we know we want, that we'd like to see. Design has to then take that um, and then translate it in, you know, into a sketch, right? And even before that brief is handed off, myself and the merchandising team 
are are looking at what uh, what the merchandising team is, is trying to put together. I then you know or a fabric price a, a certain type of fabric, which you know could be anywhere from let's just as an example say from two to four dollars. I have to then go in and make sure that that fabric is is going to um, not be overpriced for not for uh, not be overpriced and not be able to generate a certain margin. And the way I do that is I have to go back and look at seasons past reference styles, looking at a sketch and saying, okay, this looks like you know the hydrenaline jacket from spring twenty. Go into that costing sheet you know, from, from seasons past and, and break down that entire costing sheet that has like a price for a fabric, a price for a trim, a price for a zipper pull, a price for a print. And if that price that was, you know, from a spring 20 is considerably lower than what um, the price is being briefed now, it's never going to hit a certain margin or certain target. And so then I have to go back to our merchandising team and say, okay, this isn't going to work. You're going to need to like choose a, you know, a less expensive like reference fabric. Um, and that's where like the fun begins. Cause a lot of times, you know, design merchandising, no, I really want this. Like, well, it's not going to, it's not going to work. <laughs> you know, let, let's find a way to, to make this, to, to bring this product to life and still be able to communicate, you know, the vision. And so, we do the back and forth with the merchandising team. Then it gets presented to, to um, the design team. The design team then comes in and, and builds a sketch. Sometimes, you know, things get overbuilt. Um, and, you know, I have to be able to manage that and say, okay, we have to pull back a little bit or we have to find, you know, get crafty and figure out a different way to, again, like bring this product to life. The tech development team, is working through the entire tech pack. They're working through fits. They're working through the trim details. Like they take the design, they take the, de- the sketch or the design from the design team. And then they have to build what's called the, the bomb or the tech pack or the bill of materials. And so they break down every little nook and cranny that is on this jacket or on this pant or on this short or what have you, and put it into what's called a tech pack. And Part of my role is again building a calendar that allows them time to do that, and so it's taking okay. It's going to take two weeks to to then build the tech packs for this collection or this assortment. Um, let's slot that into the calendar. Once those tech packs are done, then we then we have to schedule what's called a tech pack handoff. And usually in past, you know, before 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 the pandemic, we would go to you know, say Asia and work with the factories and our sourcing partners. Now we've been doing these through Zoom. And so it gets a little more tricky. And I have to be able to, as a development manager, have to be able to make sure that process runs smoothly. So organizing those those development handoffs with our sourcing partners, um, scheduling them out um, again. So to ensure, you know, a smooth handoff process. Um, so there's before, even before that, there's a lot of work that gets done that the development manager has to handle. Um, and, and to, to again, I'll say again, like ensure a, a smooth process. Um, you know, I love working with this company. I love working with this brand, not just, not only because of the, uh, the product that gets, like, that's put out, but 
we're just we're building for a consumer. There's a cultural relevance to this brand that you know a lot of other outdoor brands don't have. And I think you know as you as you go into you know th- this this industry, you know, ask yourself, you know, what are you looking to do? What are you looking for? Um, you know, for me, it's the minute I see you know someone is like spending money on the product that we build. You know, we have a responsibility to create the best product. We have the responsibility to to sort of inform and inspire, you know, individuals with the product we build. And so that's where, you know, I, I am in, in my role. I am a true advocate for our cross-functional partners, you know, and also reminding them, you know, why we're doing what we do. Um, and again, that's why I go back to roles that are presented to you, you know, might not be specific to what you went to school for, what you're looking for, but if they're in the industry, think about, think about taking those roles and and think about how they're going to get you to where, you know, what the path is going to look like, how they're going to get you to where you want to be. Um, because in the end, you're going to be working with multiple people from multiple backgrounds doing multiple things. And you have to be able to understand that person's, you know, role in the process. And so, you know, I think that's, pretty much it you know i'd like to really just do the back and forth you know hear any questions you guys have we have any questions right off the bat i've got a couple but you've got a great background so i'd love to have your insight to it is there anyone that has one right off the bat all right so i was going to ask because we kind of talked to him about product line management uh design and development are there are there things that from a development standpoint that you wish that your product line managers and your designers did to make developers lives easier <laughs> already like right off that loaded question no. um <laughs> you know not every designer i think i feel like my role is definitely more on i, I definitely have added more of a, a mentoring process mentoring side to the role um you know they're they're from a design standpoint i think opening their aperture a little bit you know not everything it's like not at times it can be really narrow mind it has to be like this and 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 i understand i understand that but i think because the consumer is always changing and things are always moving forward i think you know, there, there, there needs to be a sort of like respect for the development side, because a lot of times, you know, that the design feels that you're just trying to like, you know, you're, you're wanting to have to, you're making me design to a cost and it's more like, no, I'm actually, you know, trying to, you know, build within a certain box, but be able to communicate your vision or, or maybe this design isn't it, you know, see the bigger picture, you know, it's, it's, it's like, okay, you might not get to be able to design this certain way, but let's make, if you want to do that, let's make sure that we take care of what we say, take care of the business here so that you're allowed to sort of go out a little bit and, and, and move forward because you have to have portions of the line that are pushing, that are pushing the envelope a little bit. Right. And so that isn't always going to be the, uh, the volume driving styles so let's take care of this side of the business with the volume driving styles and then we can look at where you want to push forward um you know i, I think that you know i had a conversation or interview the other day with uh, a 
perspective designer. And I told him, you know, straight up, like, I'm an advocate for you. But there are going to be parameters. So it's like I want, I'm challenging you to design within those parameters. Um, because that's, you know, unless you have your own brand, like, that's what's going <laughs> to, that's how it's going to be. Other questions? So I know that North Face has a very big presence in the streetwear community. So going into the design process, um, are there certain pieces of apparel that you that are designed specifically for streetwear, or does it kind of kind of like Carhartt, where they want to make the best product for working, and then it just kind of is adapted into streetwear? What does that look like? Um, you know, with North Face again, do. One of the main reasons I came to the brand is like we always want to make the best products, and it's always gonna like the streetwear lifestyle, you know, collabs are always gonna draft down from top of mountain innovations and pinnacle executions. You know, we run, we basically take this and run it, take those innovations and run them through sort of like a lifestyle lens, um, because you know, having known this brand even from the '90s, like. That was, you know, streetwear, if you want to call it like that's insane. New York with the Nupsy, like it was basically creating pinnacle products and letting the consumer dictate how that's going to be, you know, how it's going to be in the marketplace. And that's what I always tell the team is like, we're going to make something, but, you know, that kid, you know, that dad or whatever is going to like, they're going to wear it how they see fit. You know, like, I, you know, I have friends, you know, from Minnesota, from Michigan, whose fathers have like the fathers and moms have like the mountain jacket from from, you know, the 80s, like the yell, the summit, you know, the summit golds that are like just greased up from sitting on the, from riding on their sleds for years. And it's their favorite style, you know, and then move into, you know, go to New York. And it's like, you know, the, the Gore-Tex mountain jacket is like, you know, one of the hottest items out there. Right one of the most, you know, well, you know, well-known and recognized pieces out there. So it's all about context, you know? So you start with performance. Like the reason why people come to these styles is because they perform, they know they're going to work. And then however it moves into the marketplace, you know, so be it. I do a lot of experimenting myself with taking like summit gear and, you know, looking at colors and wearing them in different ways just to show people, you know, in the office or sort of like, this is what people do. This is what culture is. You know what I mean? And so, um, it's about taking like pinnacle in technologies and innovations and running them through a lifestyle lens, but never sacrificing performance. So can, I'm sorry, can you repeat that? So it's the idea from the time frame from going from idea of like a Gore-Tex jacket to when it's finally executed and on the shelf. Yeah. And what's that kind of timeline look like? Oh, okay. It's a, it's, um, 13 to 15 months process um we were working on spring 23 right now and the first the first actually we're getting ready we're starting work on fall 23 right now and so right now um we are in the looking at the sort of like material toolbox and uh, and landing on like looking at our long lead time fabrics and so if we say like fall 23, you know, fall, first fall drop is usually July, July 15th, I believe, 2023. And we're, what, 20, you know, October 2021. <laughs> so I believe we'll start seeing, we'll start seeing first um, design briefs and having sketch review in December. 
And so 12, yeah, almost a little over 15 months. All right, so another question that's been raised to me by several students in the past mm -hmm. uh, is with the kind of rise of like Clove 3D, Browseware, mm -hmm. Tech, Optitech, are, are you really seeing those coming through or is it still kind yes. of a... 3D, 3D is fantastic. We're, how, we're seeing, how is that changing the process? Uh, one, from an efficiency standpoint. Two, from a costing standpoint. Um, with 3D, you're able to, you know, you look at a 3D, 3D rendering um, and graphic placement, um, fit, you know, body length. Um, you know, so when you, you can send a 3D and you work with the factories, you get that first proto back. And, you know, there are times where when we already like fit approved that first proto. You know, the goal is to be 100% accurate at salesman sample. Because um, you imagine a salesman sample comes in that the, that the you know, sales team has to take out and work with the accounts. And if it's not, you know, 100%, you have to build another salesman sample. If there are discrepancies, um, that are like so drastic that the sales team can't take them to, to market to work with the account. You have to build another salesman sample and your salesman sample cost is, you know, what we call like one and a half times FOB. So if your FOB is say $20 on a garment, you're, you're paying one and a half times that for salesman sample. Your bulk is where your bulk production is where your cost is, you know, lowers. And so you think about just say a hundred styles, three colorways per, <laughs> you know, so, um, and what for myself, what, what's, uh, what I'm building for the, for the collaboration process, you know, say with the Supreme is, you know, we're, we're really working to do work. We're really working with trying to work with 3d as well, because then, you know, the external partners can see those and say, Oh, okay. You know, I don't like the, you know, where that graphic is placed or I like how the print is executing or the print looks too big. Can we, you know, can we, scale down the print size um, because when you're working with an external partner, there's so many, so many nuances um, around process, you know, like we, you know, our, our process is very detailed. A lot of, you know, brands or external partners don't have, you know, as, as much of a detailed process, but the work you create, you know, through collab, you know, it, you, you create new space. And so, um, we, you know, we work to bring those sort of like efficiencies to the, the product building process. Sounds good. And as far as uh, students, I mean, when you're hiring, is that going to be something that's going to be pretty important on resumes is that they've worked with 3D in the past? I mean, is that, do you see it being it's, a big sweeping, sweeping need now or complete takeover? Yes, it's definitely a plus. You know, I mean, we, we have... 3D uh, training in the, you know, internally with a lot of the designers now, um, you know, a gentleman I interviewed a couple of days ago, you know, took it upon himself to learn 3D, 3D. And um, that was definitely a plus. Which program do you use the most? With the uh, browseware. Browseware. Okay. Mm -hmm. Sounds good. Other questions? Um, could you give us like a few of your favorite and the least favorite things about working in the industry? Um, 
what's a few of my favorite things about working in the industry is just access to products. <laughs> I'm a, I'm a product nerd. I'm an apparel nerd. Um, because I just like playing with it, you know, and just being able to use it. I mean, I've been, been riding for damn near 25 years. And so, um, and just being able to like take my family out, you know, having that access and just geeking out on the products um, and traveling. You know, I love going to Asia. I love, you know, the, the, the building process and just meeting new people and doing new things and working on different products. I think um, probably my least favorite thing about, you know, the, the outdoor industry is the, how do I say this? Um, not wanting to open the aperture, you know, and, and recognizing there is more out there, like outdoors for, you know, not to sound cliche, but outdoors for everyone, outdoors in the city, you know, outdoors, not just in the mountains or in the, you know, on a hike, like it's everywhere. Um, and I think once we open the app, open our apertures a little bit more, um, you'll, which is happening now, you know, the silver line, I guess, you know, small silver lining on, on pandemic is people need to, or want, wanting to get out more, you know, there's a curiosity, there's an exploration and then there's a discovery. And, you know, if, if, if people within the industry don't, don't see that and stay so like narrowly focused, um, I think that is, a, you know, a huge setback. And so, you know, my, again, it's like one of the reasons coming to, to this brand is, you know, that, that cultural relevance, like people like taking a piece and putting it, you know, running it through their own lens, putting it in context, putting it in their own context. So, yeah, that's definitely like my least favorite. <laughs> Other questions? Looking about them? Oh, right here, Angela. So, what was like your timeline of coming into like the North Face um, company? And maybe like a piece of knowledge that you're grateful for that you learned during like your whole journey of coming into the company? Oh, um, I was my my timeline. I'm going to date myself now. <laughs> um, I started in this in marketing. Uh, first, uh, we started a brand called Alphanumeric back in 98. Uh, I'm originally from San Diego, California. Um, had just left Vail. I spent uh, four and a half years in Vail just writing, working. Um, probably the best thing to ever happen. And um, from Alphanumeric, I worked at, in marketing for Burton and helped to kick off Analog. Uh, that was until 2000, 2002. And then uh, I moved, my, my future wife and I moved to the Bay Area. I'm a, you know, like very avid golfer. And I went to start a small, you know, golf brand, worked on a golf course for two and a half years, realized you need a lot of money to, <laughs> to jump into that industry. And um, so 2004, um, a role presented itself in product management. Um, for Vans outerwear. And this is when VF had just uh, acquired Vans. Um, and that job was actually out of the North Face offices. And so it was a, a sort of like school of hard knocks going in from marketing to product management. And I knew I wanted to, you know, I wanted to like transition out of marketing because there wasn't really anything really tangible. 
with marketing, but at the same time, you know, being able to like understanding trends and understanding, you know, having an understanding of like what makes people tick. Right. I mean, I was a psychology major and music minor. And so when I took, when I was offered the role with Vans Outerwear, it was just five of us working in, in, um, in the North Face office. And I took illustrator classes, <laughs> you know, um, we would do the free lines uh, with accounts like the REIs, the DSGs of the world. Um, we worked with an ex- uh, external designer out of Wyoming where, you know, back, back then it was like you get a print and you had to print it out on these 11 by 17 pages, tape them all together. And that's what you would send to, you know, the factory, to the mill to like generate a print. And so it was very, you know, and I was very, I was lucky enough to work with an insane tech developer, um, insane designer. Um, and just like, I just soaked it all up. Right. And so that was probably the moment where, you know, I said, this is what I want to do, but I also want to, I want to understand everyone's role in the process to be more effective in the industry, to be a more effective leader, to be able to provide, you know, our, our cross-functional partners context. It wasn't going to be like, Hey, go do this without like providing the why. Right. Um, and from there I was, you know, I was worked for Fox racing doing uh, senior uh, SMU merchandising. So really quick turn products um, working with the pack suns, the Tillies, even the like TJ Maxx's of the world, every looking at weekly sales reports um, to see like what is moving, trying to understand why that's moving and then take that information back to the design team. Like we need to create these graphics. This is what's checking right now. And so really getting an idea of like how that business side is running. Um, and so from Fox in 2011, I went back to school and got offered a role at Nike. And that was like eye opening, like on the global stage, um, doing these presentations, I was working on their uh, basketball, like lifestyle basketball. And I remember three weeks in, we had our global sales meetings and my director, you know, said, Hey, you're going to present to the global team. And it was in the Tiger Woods center. It was in front of like 500 people, these massive screens behind me. And I'm barely like getting an idea of the collection. And it was like, okay, shit, I need to get better at presenting, (laughs) you know, providing, providing these stories, um, providing context, you know, storytelling is where, you know, I really learned about like storytelling. Um, And within Nike, I was, you know, the PLM for their performance outerwear, Nike SB, you know, all the the, the snowboard gear, Um, the the collabs or ACG, like all the different collabs. We kicked off uh, Tech Pack and Tech Fleece, like that was our baby. We were in Asia three to four times a year. You know, I was managing a $1.5 billion business, you know, globally. And so... You know, it was truly like going back to school again. Uh, And so, you know, the role that Columbia presented itself to work on their women's outerwear, um, I wanted to challenge myself, you know, working on on that apparel from a fit standpoint, from the market standpoint. And then, you know, I was instrumental in kicking off their whole collab program. And so, you know, the Kith collabs were like our babies, the the Ibex, the opening ceremonies, you know, things that, Columbia hadn't done before, but there's so much, you know, heritage within that brand. Um, 
And then I, you know, from, from Columbia, I decided to take a little break and I went into work, helped a friend out working at a small fashion house uh, with Dine. And so we had our showroom in London uh, and in Italy, it was trips to our factories, trips to, to the different shows in Italy, Paris, um, New York, London. And, you know, I was the director there. It's basically five of us and really like, sort of like reining it in a little bit for a creative director who wanted to do everything. <laughs> and so from a cost standpoint, from a, from a, you know, execution standpoint, like really sort of like trying to help like sharpen the focus. And, um, and then a role at North Face presented itself, um, you know, and when my wife and I left Colorado, we always said that, you know, Colorado was, all, Colorado was always on our list in terms of like, we a place where we'd want to sort of like settle down and i took the role at north face um what they called um their their urban outerwear while they were still in the bay area and i commuted from portland to the bay area for eight months every monday morning five o'clock five five thirty flight fly back home thursday thursday or friday day because i was like i'm not moving to san francisco if we're gonna end up driving to colorado so and this is where i am you know, and so again, all the di- you know the different roles were about understanding the 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 product building process and understanding everyone's role in the process. So it's a lot. <laughs> I've got maybe another big question for you. I know we only have a couple minutes left, but mm-hmm. um, I mean, part of your title is global uh, mm-hmm. development. So what is that like? What are the challenges that you face like overseeing development of products for like different regions or countries? I, I just think about how everyone loves product that's specific to Japan. Japan always seems to get the best product for the brands. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's unique to, to that region. Like, what is that like working on regional products? Um, it's, it's awesome. I think, you know, I, it is, I look at it as, how do we, you know, like how, how does that, you know, the what's checking in Japan or what's checking in Europe? Like, how do we build that product, you know, for North America? North America is the biggest challenge. Like, I'm not going to lie. It's the biggest challenge because, um, you know, our design teams see, you know, what's happening in different regions. And they want to do that. But then, you know, the, the accounts in North America versus Europe, their needs are different. And so, um that makes it difficult, but that's the challenge. You know, it's, it's, it's a lot like that, that part of the process is, is, is fun. Um, I think one of the bigger challenges is the cost, the cost expectation. Um, Europe's um, margin requirements or costing expectations are definitely higher than say in North America. And so having to build a product that is hitting a target in North America is a little bit easier versus like in, um, in Europe. And so it's getting really like, it gets, it's getting crafty with like the makeup of the product that is able to work for both. And a lot of times like that's driven by volume. So the discussions I have are, okay, you guys want to do this, but in order to get our costing down, we need more volume. How important is this style or is this collection to, you know, your marketplace. If you're saying you want this, then your volume should be bigger. So there's that. And that's where I work with the merchandising team as well. It's like, cause they, they, 
you know, have that communication, but I provide that feedback. Um, that would be the biggest challenge. It's definitely the cost expectations. Um, AP markets, you know, our Asia Pacific market, they do, you know, amazing things, but a lot of times their volume isn't as big as well um, because there's so many different regions within the AP market, right? There's Korea, there's Japan, there's South China. Like it's, it's in the way that their, um, their uh, accounts set up, you know, it's, 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 um, there's a lot of them. And same thing with Europe, like for as big as Europe is, all the little countries you realize like i was like oh that's right like all the different countries have different requirements different like market expectations and that's what they're trying that's why they're they're trying to like build a product to a certain margin because that margin works across all the different countries sounds good well we're just about out of time so we'd like to thank you for taking time out of your day so thank you guys no, this is a lot of fun. I appreciate it. I, I, I love this program and what you guys are doing over there, for sure. Thanks for listening to the Highlander Podcast. For more conversations with outdoor leaders, subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts, watch episodes on the Outdoor Product Design and Development YouTube channel, or on opdd.usu.edu slash podcast. Follow along on Instagram at USU Outdoor Product and let us know how you're enjoying the show.